0: Hello and welcome to the Succession Easters.
1: The Succession (laughs) Easters!
0: a new podcast recapping and diving deep into the HBO hit show Succession, which returns next week for its fourth and final season.
1: I'm Anna Bogutska. I'm a writer, broadcaster, and Succession superfan.
0: And I'm Mike Munzer, a producer and podcaster and
1: Succession obsessive. And on this podcast, over the next few weeks, we'll be taking you through the highs, the lows, and the extreme burns of the Roy family saga.
0: Beginning with recaps of the first three seasons in anticipation of the upcoming Season 4.
1: Which will be premiering on the 26th of March on HBO and showing in the UK from the 27th of March on Sky.
0: So this week, we're diving deep into Season 3 of Succession. Dad? Want me to ride with you? You want to suck my dick? Is what he said to his son as the sexual assault allegations poured in. So uh, before we get into season three, just a quick warning to say that we will be spoiling everything up to the end of season three of Succession. There are already two previous episodes on this feed available. You can listen to our discussion of season one and then season two. And this week, Anna, we're going to be completely up to date as we talk about everything up until that incredible season three finale. And then from next week, we will be discussing season four week by week, episode by episode. And at this point in time, we have not seen any of season four, right? So we can't actually spoil anything.
1: We know nothing.
0: We know nothing. (laughs) So, oh my God, where do we start? This season, you know, we talked about how season two, Anna, was... Pretty much one of the most perfect seasons of television there is. And what an incredible five, no five stars, no notes, and an incredible cliffhanger of a season finale as well. Um what did you think, especially going back and re-watching season three for this podcast, how did it live up to that kind of cliffhanger ending that we got at the end of two? First
1: thing to mention is that season three, I think, is the moment when succession went full mainstream. Yeah. I think this is when it really became a global phenomenon. Mm. It's when every single person was talking about it. It was showing up on every single Hinge profile. (laughs) It was the thing that everybody universally liked. Which is very rare because we do not live in a monoculture anymore. Yeah. There is everyone's tastes and interests are very fragmented. There are so many options, streaming services, linear television, movies, podcasts, whatever, which means that everybody coalescing around one thing is very rare and quite Mm. magical when it happens Mm -hmm. and the anticipation was through the roof when i watched it and i don't know did you go to the uh lff preview of the first two episodes mike i
0: didn't know and i was so (gasps) jealous because it looked amazing it was it got like a proper premiere at london film festival right and this is like you say this is Mm -hmm. how we know succession was elevated to cinema status at this point right it got a proper premiere with all of the cast members and you guys all got to see it on the big screen right
1: so that was the moment when, and I remember I, it, I, you know, I bought a ticket. Mm. Uh, my friend, Rowan Woods, had programmed that that strand of uh, of series for the LFF. And she had got that incredible uh, premiere of the season three. Mm. And like, I just, I didn't want to scrounge a ticket. So I just bought one. And it was kind of in the nosebleeds of the uh, Royal Festival Hall. And when I went in, it was like 2000 people there. Wow. And I was like, God oh, damn, like this is not a little niche interest." That's the moment I think when I really realized, no, this is this is everyone's show, yeah, everyone's favorite show, and it was incredible. I, I tell you what, just hearing the theme tune mm-hmm. by Nicholas Bertel, seeing it on the big screen on a on a Mahusuf screen as well, mm-hmm. and seeing. And feelings, people, energy in the room—that anticipation—it's one of the, it's one of the all-time great events that I've ever attended. Yeah. Because of that, and once uh, kind of it started airing. The following week or whatnot, I would watch every episode maybe two or three times yeah. the day the day after it aired in the states, and and rewatching it this time round, I kind of recaptured that intensity, that intense anticipation. Even though I've seen the third season maybe two or three times over, mm. uh, I hadn't rewatched it kind of. Uh, it, Pardon the pun. In succession, um, <laughs> yeah. one after another, as a block, since it originally aired, and since we've been kind of thinking and talking and podcasting about the previous two seasons, the high of the finale of season two was so there that when I dove into season three, I was like, "Oh my god! I'm I don't even I don't even remember. I've blocked out what happens." Yeah. And yeah, I have to say, I wouldn't go as far as saying that this season was perfect television you know, nine episodes of perfect television. No. But it is very goddamn close. Like, there are moments, there are scenes, which I'm sure we'll dive very deep into, that I think are some of the most, like, beautiful, heart-wrenching, exemplary scenes of drama ever written. Yeah. Like,
0: ever, film or TV. Yeah, completely agree with you. I think this season is, in some ways, deliberately so, a little bit messier than season two. You know, season two was so... It was so neat in the way that it kind of it brought all of our family of characters together every week in these different amazing glamorous locations. And I think maybe there were some practical reasons to why this season might have been different too. This was shot during COVID, right? This was the first season that was shot during COVID. Yes, it was. You didn't necessarily have as much traveling around the world. Obviously, we get a great finale in Tuscany, but other than that, it feels a little bit smaller. It feels a little bit more insular. You're not necessarily in these big locations with hundreds of extras as much as as we have been in previous seasons. You're more
1: in conference rooms.
0: Yes, it is a bit more back into conference rooms. And I think because of the nature of this season, essentially the story, you know, that picks up from where season two left off is that there is this rift in the Roy family, right? Kendall and Logan are kind of nemeses in this season, right? And and the the Roy siblings are kind of constantly shifting and changing sides. And so we don't get all of them together in one space as much like we did in season two, right? They are there are sort of disparate factions of the Roy family doing different things mm. from week to week. And it's fascinating and it's great. I don't think that it, it is quite as satisfying television as season two, but that also feels deliberate, right? Yeah. All of the all of the Roys are in deep water in this season, it feels like, and they are struggling to keep their heads above water. And, and I think you can really feel that throughout season three in its kind of scrappiness and messiness in a way. You
1: know what I was thinking this morning when I rewatched the final uh, 15 minutes of the last episode of season three? Yeah because just ooh, chef's, oh. chef's kiss but the i think to your point season one and two feel like one block of story and i think perhaps that kind of uh, you know unsatisfaction mm-hmm. of season three perhaps it's because it's the first half of the second block like the second chapter so instead of like because if you think about it the first two seasons you know they are all about Cut, that cutting off ties mm. that Kendall does, that final, you know, he's trying to kill Logan throughout season one and season two. And then he kind of does dug, dig the knife in deep in a way that cannot be taken back very publicly in season two. And it feels like the season three is kind of setting up for something even bigger. But its it ends with a cliffhanger again. Yeah. But with one that sets you up for something definitive to happen because it's a private cliffhanger in the same way as the the ending of season one is you know it's between the roy kids and logan it's not in front of everyone else so and as far as succession is concerned unless it happens in public and it's inked it does not exist
0: right It's true. It's true. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, actually, in the way that the season might be gearing up to something more in season four, because there is also this other thing about succession. It sometimes can feel frustrating, I think, because... It feels like it like something some big change is about to happen and then often it doesn't and I think thematically this works well like season two kind of promised maybe that Kendall was going to bring down his father's empire and of course as we learn in season three that just doesn't happen because the Roy kids are all fuck-ups and because Logan wins (laughs) most of the time right money wins Logan wins money wins and 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 it's the kind of really harsh devastating truth about this show is that most of the time this rich powerful th- white man will win and and that is kind of what we see happen you know kendall's attempts once again thwarted time after time throughout this season and i think yeah there's always this kind of there's this push pull in succession between it wanting to maybe go off in some dramatic new direction and but then also remaining real to these characters and this situation, which is that actually most of the time Logan will win out and, and equilibrium for him will be maintained, right? We'll see whether or not that is still the case next season. But yeah, I think that's the other thing about this season.
1: Yeah, that's a criticism that I've heard about the about the show as a whole. And it's, mm. it's sort of a fair criticism. You know, is there a plot that kind of moves them forward? No, they're sort of circling each other a lot all the time. It is just so goddamn delightful to see them do that. And, you know... To quote uh, the, the winner of season three, Tom Wom's gangs, Logan rarely gets fucked over. Yes. In fact, he's never seen him getting fucked over.
0: Exactly. The only people that get fucked over over <laughs> and over again are the kids, right? <laughs> We're watching a show in which these three kids get fucked over relentlessly. Specifically,
1: um, our best boy,
0: Well, let me ask you, we'll get into, let's get into each character and their story arc in a minute. But there's something that you brought up last week, which is that, you know, there's this idea and this theory that people have that each season is based on a different Mm -hmm. character, right? We talked about how season one felt so much about Kendall. Season two really focused in on Shiv. Which would suggest that season three is Roman's season, right? What do you Absolutely. think of that? Do you do you agree with that? Is this Roman's season?
1: Totally, I totally mm. think it's Roman's season um, because he's the one who undergoes the most changes this season. He really mm. changes, and he is, for lack of a better word, and you know, the ending for each of the season ends up with the total breaking apart of one of the kids. Season one is the breaking of Kendall. Season two is the breaking of Shiv. Season three. Roman is the one that ends up no longer the favorite of his dad and literally on the floor broken down mm. like completely messed up. Yeah. So I do think it's his season. He's the one who flies very close to the sun, gets blinded by, you know, being the favorite son at that moment at that moment in time mm. and then crashes and burns really hard. I think it should be me. Okay. It's my time, I can do it, I want it, and I think I can do it.
0: Yeah, you're right. Roman and we talked about this a lot in season 2. Roman strikes a good balance of knowing when to be subservient to his dad and when to be a ruthless dickhead, right? Yeah. Kendall is one extreme or the other constantly. He's either too subservient to his dad or he's too rallying against him trying to destroy him. Shiv is so arrogant that she doesn't listen to anyone and and goes at everything kind of full pelt to her detriment. And Roman is pretty savvy in that regard, isn't he? Cuz he's got this weird he's got this weird fear of his father that maybe more than his siblings do which is that he he does not want to cross his dad but also he knows when to be a fucking ruthless shark to other people right you know like and he yeah. so he strikes a but good balance in that regard
1: he also knows who to align himself with yeah he very savvily uh you know partly possibly 50% motivated by sexual interest and 50% motivated by uh business acumen he aligns himself with jerry kelman who is you know we'll, we'll get to jerry uh later on, but she has been kind of a constant, stable uh, source of power at Waystar, right? She doesn't have any real power, but she has kept herself clean and close enough to enjoy the riches Mm. and not in the spotlight in the way that could take her down. I think it should be me. But if you don't think I'm ready, maybe a couple of years under the wing of an older... uh hen could, you know, see me crack out of the old egg. All bitterness aside, I do wonder if maybe it isn't Jerry time. Jerry is Jerry is a very smart individual and she mentions this like, you know, even in the first episode. You know, I'm quite a successful person and I remain so by avoiding mess. Yes. And there's so many scenes between the two of them that are not, you know, the fun, flirty ones. It's more like Roman being mentored by Jerry. In the art of kind of corporate ruthlessness, and and you know it's these sort of quiet scenes that m- support this theory that this is very much Roman season, mm-hmm. and you know we might get towards the end about what we think will happen, whose season will it be in season four? Um, but I do think that he and he it's interesting the Roy kids are all kind of similar even though they're va- they're very different from one another in that that rise and fall they all commit the same sin and yeah. they just get too prideful and too full of themselves and lash out and then fuck up immediately after that.
0: Yeah, agreed. And I think the thing that I noticed more about Roman on this rewatch and part of his success, I think, is is how he... He has much more in common with the kind of young tech bros of his generation, right? The million, the yeah. the, the characters we meet a couple of them this series. You know that the, the um, Adrian Brody, the Alexander Skarsgård, but even going all the way back to the beginning of season one and like Rob Yang's character, the boss of Volta. Yes. And and Sandy and Stewie as well, Stewie particularly, like they seem to respect Roman Roman is more on their wavelength than Kendall or Shiv, right? Because he knows when to be this kind of horrible Almost like frat bro with power, right? Where he's like and he knows how to speak their language where he talks to Alexander Skarsgård's character And he's like, yeah, let's go and piss on my app and like that's how he wins him over essentially, right? And like he knows much more about how to communicate with these kind of people and win them over way more than Kendall or totally. Shiv do, right? And and it's and you, I feel like yeah, you really see that particularly in season three. He comes into his own because he's got this horrible douchey bro mentality that a lot of the most successful people in this world have, right? So he knows how to schmooze them. He
1: knows how to adapt to the person that he's speaking to. Yeah, and like his little chaos goblin energy actually works for those men in power because uh, I think he's he balances really well in a way that Kendall and Shiv just never do. He's never sincere, so he never lets a lot, uh, he never shows himself. And there's a point later on in the season when he tells Mattson I'm never telling you any of my weaknesses ever. He's smart in that way, whether Shiv and Kendall show their, show their soft belly a bit too much to people who they should not be trusting, which is dumb business. But Roman has this way of like making himself look like he he can be he can be sort of a joke. Yeah. And at the same time that ingrains him into these like powerful douchey men there's also the politician played by justin kirk uh who's sort of like a proto-fascist politician oh my god yes, yes. like th- roman has all these he's also a very big proponent of the the secret meetings most notably in bathrooms he loves to have meetings with men in bathrooms uh, um, again
0: all the freudian <laughs> elements of yeah, this. It's so good. yeah.
1: <laughs> and and like and i think that also kind of he acknowledges, understands, I think instinctively that the type of power that they're trafficking in does not need a boardroom, does not need to be minuted or be above board. And I think Kendall is so obsessed with like this MBA, Forbes cover version of himself, vision of himself that and so is Shiv. She, Shiv is looking at the profile pieces of herself before thinking of how to actually gain power. Mm-hmm. And and that becomes kind of their, while well, they're away, like fretting around that, Roman is actually like studying up, he's building relationships, he's learning from Jerry, he's learning when to keep his mouth shut and when to actually defend the company and his dad. Like he allows a lot of shit to be said, but then he has this instinct for what is or isn't a good deal.
0: He does, he does. And he, and, uh, you know, his instincts are, are scary sometimes, but they're usually right. Like this horrible populist, fascist politician, right? Who Roman straight away kind of clocks and gets him on his radar because they have this conversation together at a bar. And I, I almost get the feeling Roman kind of is like, oh, this guy's kind of like me.
2: So what's your deal? Most people here want to fuck me or kill me. Oh, wow. What about you? I always
0: found it hard to care about politics, so...
2: Mm-hmm. Well, listen, here's my party trick, right? Okay. Tell me who your enemy is, and I'll tell you who you are. Okay. Got a pin in that one.
0: Um, have your poll numbers. You're dark horse, in it? People are buying your whole...
2: Huh? You better buy it, or I'll send them to the gulag. Oh, okay. Now we're talking. <laughs> no, no, no. No work camps. You yeah, it's know, like, it's like summer camps. Summer camps, but with beatings. Right? No, 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 no. Shh. well this is nice a couple of cool guys having some disgusting fun
0: but you know yeah there is this connection right that roman has to this to these kind of douchey sociopathic men in this world Mm -hmm. and logan kind of and logan yeah it's his type and logan kind of respects that too i think doesn't he because logan probably has that as well um whereas you're right shiv and kendall are so obsessed with their own image and them trying to be better than all these other people whether it's morally superior Mm. or intellectually superior
1: yeah and I think uh I definitely before we kind of dive into the characters I definitely want to mention the something we did not talk about in last episode and I think Mm. it's absolutely crucial to the show and to this season, quite a lot. And it's the costume design. Yes,
0: yes, yes, yes. Now, we teased this at the end of our season two discussion. We didn't have time to cover it. But you have lots of thoughts, right? About the way these characters are styled.
1: Many yeah. So I wanted to ask you so the costume designer, Michelle Matland, I have gone down a little rabbit hole reading about her um, strategies and her thoughts on each of the characters. I mean, I think it's very clear like the personalities of each character are communicated through their clothes. Mm-hmm. And you know how we spoke in a previous episode about the fact that kind of the interiors and the production design of the of the show is very rich but unwelcoming. Which is actually like what true wealth looks like. It's not cozy. Mm -hmm. It like it's the ingredients that are very expensive. It's not you know they're not going to have the big um, showy like displays and brands littered around everywhere because that's not what that's not the real that's not the shit that the real wealthy people buy. And I think the same very much applies to the costume design. and And I wanted to ask you kind of how did you feel that the look of the characters changed this season
0: it's interesting isn't it i mean i don't know if i noticed a massive difference between season two and three i did notice just like across the three seasons and one of the things we didn't talk about with season two i feel like the most obvious change was shiv from season one to season two right you know like and i think it's even mentioned in the script in season two but she gets new hair she starts wearing kind of these like suits and everything and like you suddenly you know she's at that point, she's ingratiating herself into the the Waystar kind of empire. The corporate role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And she gives herself a little corporate makeover compared to when she was this liberal political strategist in season one right so yes. so that's a really obvious sort of change there in the costumes but beyond that I'm not actually sure you're going to have to explain to me Anna you know what you've noticed in terms of the changes from seasons two to three I mean obviously I love the tension in these characters in what they like to wear and the different types of outfits you know I love the way that Kendall goes from occasionally dressed as this kind of corporate fuckboy, boy right in these suits to wearing his you know turtleneck jumpers with his big bling so, necklaces. I
1: love his bling, which, by the way, is not just bling, it is actually an art piece. Oh my god, which is created by contemporary artist Rashid Johnson. As part of an anxious man series, and Jeremy Strong actually has another version of that necklace in real life, engraved with the names and the birth dates of his daughters, Love it. which I think is very sweet and also you know, art and reality. But one of the things I really came really came out really strongly to me this time round with the whole season is is that is the costume is the changes of everything. So in season two, like you say, Kendall is very much because he's like in between. Uh, well in season in season one after he attempts a coup, he tries the corporate fuckboy look, right? Then season two, he's just a good boy. He's just quiet, head down, mm-hmm. you know, simple, uh simple suits, uh, except for the yeah. L to the OG rap. <laughs> and then in this one, he's kind of off the rails because he's out he's outside of Waysaroko. So he tries like all of these very sort of fake trendy very try hard it's like someone trying to cosplay ryan goslin from drive but you know (laughs) he's a corporate fuck bro and like all of it feels wrong and also so so extreme and so kind of tacky in a different way because it's not the it's not the kind of the labels Mm -hmm. brand of tackiness it's the sort of I understand what you're going for, but it's all too much. And I think it exaggerates his like quite small frame. Yes. Like, you know, the giant necklace, the turtlenecks, the shiny bomber jackets, the sort of like brown and and green colors. And then he gets the bus cut in the last two episodes. So like there's like he he seems like he's trying so hard to cling on to something that but he doesn't quite know where he fits. And that's why he meanders. And then on the other hand, Shiv, who looked unbelievably chic in season two, here, like, frankly, one of the things I remember thinking when the show was airing and revisiting it now, I'm like, her clothes are bad. Interesting. They're ill-fitting, they're quality clothes, but there's always something that's off. You know, like a bag that really doesn't go with the suit or like... Sarah Snooker obviously looks incredible, but like the suits and the outfits just fit her a little bit wrong. And they're kind of like someone trying to cosplay a businesswoman based on kind of Vogue magazine articles. Right. It's like, it reminded me of Rami and Michelle's high school reunion where they kind of go into the diner and say, can we get a businesswoman special? Mm. It's it's that vibe. And that, I read in an interview with uh, Michelle Matland that that was kind of very um, deliberate. And then in the last two episodes when she's in Tuscany, like, we also see she shift kind of in these form-fitting um, halter dresses that just feel very not her. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, Showing a lot more skin that she has in the previous in the previous two like two and a half three seasons, so like there's some very very clear choices being made. And Tom, on the other hand, who has always dressed kind of poorly, similarly to Greg. You know, Greg was always kind of shabby. He he kind of didn't know how to dress. He clearly had never worn you know leathers. Um, shoes ever in his life until he got the job at Waystar and then you know Tom was always made fun for his outfits especially by Roman he was always like oh you know it, it does this puffy vest hold your hopes and dreams or making fun of us off the rack or kind of boxy suits and whatnot and we'll talk about Tom later but when he comes into his own power towards the end of this season is when actually those boxy sort of you know uncharacteristic suits are let go and instead he has these sort of much more perhaps a little bit even flamboyant dress sense like this clear light linen suit with the with the pocket um, with the pocket inserts he looks incredible and even the way that he moves around around the scenes is so much more light and so much more powerful and I think it has it has a lot to do with him understanding where he stands in the Roy family dynamic towards the end of the season and it's all communicated through the clothes. Yes.
0: yeah, I completely agree. I noticed that too. And actually, Greg does look a lot more suave and well dressed oh, by the yeah. end of season three as well, right? You know, and he yeah, gets a glow up. He gets a proper glow up. It's really interesting. Yeah, that's and and what about Roman? What do you think of Roman's costumes and look? He seems to me like pretty consistent, but but did I you agree. notice a change? Yeah,
1: no, I think it's a lot more consistent because he's always done the kind of like rich douchey bro vibe. Like you know, he always has his um it's very kind of like fitted suits and very shirts, fitted isn't it? like very very tight because, you know, he gets like he gets a trainer for one day in season one and then he's like, oh, well, I'm going to take my shirt off. Um It's always very tight fitting, always very like the same kind of colors. I mean, we we also find out he wears uh, Calvin Klein boxers from yeah. <laughs> an unfortunate, an unfortunate <laughs> image oh, uh, that he volunteers. Yes. But yeah, Roman is the one that's kind of seems more consistent to me. And I wonder if that's because... You know, this is the season where he goes through most change, but actually Roman is uncomfortable in his own skin, Mm -hmm. but has been pretty consistent with who he is from day dot. Like he hasn't really gone through the same highs and lows as Shiv and and Ken. Or even Greg and Tom,
0: No, in fact, if anything, we're seeing that shift in Roman happen at the very, very end of season three, right? It's going to be really interesting to see what becomes of Roman in season four, I think, whether he has like a full earnest meltdown in some way or not, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. But yeah, I do love that. I I think that's really interesting. And the other thing I want to quickly bring up, it's not a huge amount to say about this, but I feel like we have not once mentioned so far the opening title sequence or the theme tune of Succession. And I can't believe I've never mentioned this because there are a lot of TV shows where I will maybe skip and fast forward through the opening titles or the theme tune, right? But never this show because it is perfection, right?
1: Oh my God. (laughs) I I have it in a lot of my playlists. Like It will randomly just pop up because it's on my liked songs on Spotify. I just, I also have to tell you, I'm rarely starstruck, but I was at a film festival in Miami last week and Nicholas Bratel was another Mm. guest and we went into this our events were at the same time and which was annoying because I would have gone and seen his yes but we shared an elevator in the at the venue, and I was like, "Say something, say something!" to Nicholas Portell. <laughs> and I chickened out. I chickened out. I couldn't say anything because, like, on my head, all I could hear was the Succession theme tune over and over again. But it's hard. What do you say?
0: I know it's like, what do you say in those moments? That's so cool, though. It's beautiful music, isn't it? There's something that so there's something that is kind of regal and old school and almost almost Shakespearean and classical about yes. it, whilst also feeling really modern. Totally. And it's the same with the credit sequence. This kind of like, sort of vintagey footage of 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 the kids, you know, kind of kids' home movies, all looking quite like um, straight laced and quite sad, right? You know, yes. these kids kind of not particularly having the best time, even though they're in these glamorous locations or they're riding on an elephant or they're playing tennis in this kind of private tennis court or whatever. And there are sort of subtle changes each each season, right, as well to the credit sequence and the images we see. That's kind of interesting Yes, too.
1: Which, which really supports the theory that each season is kind of more uh, more dedicated to one kid yeah. than another because one of the kids take precedence in the title sequence. But also to mention, you know, I know there's there's someone I know who often complains about the fact that Succession reuses and reforms the, the theme tune mm. and kind of uses this as a leitmotif throughout every episode. Mm-hmm. And to that person i say shut up it's never it's never enough
0: no and i think that's I think that's more perfect. versions of the yeah. more versions of the theme tune is what I say. Absolutely, give me. A, I love a, a nice recurring motif. You know, I love it. It's Same. great. It's great. Um, excellent. Well, I'm glad we got some of that stuff out the way before we <laughs> we dive into yes. season
1: three. Five star snow notes. One of my favorite things ever is to. I think this happens very rarely. It happened with the White Lotus theme tune as oh well. That as the season goes on, mm-hmm. I don't know if you did this, but as the third season was airing, because you got the screeners in advance, mm. but as this third season was airing, I remember watching it by myself. Uh, and every as the season progressed, I would just like go into a full-on dance mm. with a theme tune. It would just be like, uh, a weird solo disco scene in my house yes. because I d- it was just such a jam and it, and it pumped me up so much uh, it's a, it's incredible and also quite goofy so I'm it. sure I will be doing that with season four too
0: uh, I always think of the memes as well like the, the brilliant one made by my friend Gav Murphy um, that went really viral of Kermit the Frog dancing oh, yeah. that succession <laughs> <laughs> that's so yes, that's genius that is a stroke of genius absolutely genius exactly so so good um, alright well let's get in to we've already talked a little bit about the kind of general arc of this season it, it was yes. really and I remember even in the marketing right where you had the posters of the Roy family and the kind of line between them there you was had to this pick a side. Yeah, picking aside this this giant rift I mean really I would say it's more just Kendall versus everyone else right maybe with Greg kind of floating back and forth between them but yes yeah Yes, um, but I think that 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 is the kind of overall arc. It's it's very much Logan versus Kendall, right? Throughout this, and I think this yes. really interesting dynamic of even though both of them are trying to take each other down, they both have to keep reluctantly working together because even though Kendall is sort of trying to destroy his dad publicly, he doesn't al- want
1: to destroy the company.
0: Yes, he also needs to maintain and save the company because he wants to run it right. So there are these times when they have to awkwardly come together in order to go up against people like Sandy and Stewie or you know mm-hmm. Adrian. Brody's character Josh or whoever right in order to save the company because there is still this impending Sandy and Stewie takeover that comes to a head in this season as well right so there's all these different weird snidey dynamics going on throughout the season um we've sort of touched upon Roman already and I'm sure we'll come back to him as we go but should we talk a little bit about these other characters. Should we start with Kendall and talk oh, about Ken. Kendall, you know, what in some ways kind of mirroring his season his season one arc, right? Where he starts off as this like, he's back to arrogant. Yeah, I'm the big dog.
2: It is game time. And the game is good tweet, and bad tweet! Oh shit! Okay, you crazy fuckers better have these ready when I call them out. Okay, and Good tweet! Okay,
0: allies uh, don't
2: always come in the form we like, but what Kendall Roy did was important and brave. Boom! Boom! That's the hey, shit, that's bomb. All right, all right, all right. Bad tweet! Yeah. I got it, I got it, I got it. Bad Kendall tweet! Kendall Roy is Bad not a tweet. hero, fam. Uh, he's bootleg Ross with a daddy complex. Yes.
1: Love it. Love it! Okay, okay, okay. I think Kendall, you know what, I'm like diagnosing a fictional character here with mm-hmm. absolutely no... Um, Studies or expertise in anything, but having kind of known and struggled with this myself, I think Kendall is having um, we see him having a manic episode and we see him having a depressive episode in the same season, yeah. So when we see him at the start, he is, I don't think he's like fully at the top, he but he thinks he is, he's convinced he is because he's having a manic episode where there's like tons of energy he's just spitballing he's throwing words around he's making decisions really quickly he's doing a lot of really stupid shit because i think he's just like wired in a way that is not healthy Mm -hmm. and definitely not healthy for him and whether you know logan is very much like a, a a blustered person like he'll you know he'll scream we'll go all full fucking beast and like you know he'll yell at everyone and be incredibly abusive physically verbally emotionally every kind of every shades of abuse that slogan mm-hmm. but he is thinking about 10 steps ahead of everyone else he yes. is thinking like strategy- it takes a lot to rattle him and we've seen him rattle in season two where there is scandalous just he is really flopping around and it's re- it's it's both funny and it's quite difficult to see because you see him like get wins and then not know what to do with them like when he hires Lisa who's played by um, and like this top dog lawyer and he mm-hmm. poaches her before Logan can get to her via Shiv which is a great big win and he fucks it up like he doesn't know what he's doing he antagonizes the government he antagonizes her he's just he's just concerned mm-hmm. about tweets and image the good
0: tweet bad tweet you know this oh is it God. he's all about he, he creates a little entourage around himself you know we've got mm-hmm. these new characters like Humphrey and some of his other cohorts and greg is sort of on his side and he loves just getting them all around him and, and and having them kind of pump up his his confidence and his image right and yeah he's obsessed with his public persona that's the difference between him and logan right logan has these little meltdowns behind closed doors with his closest and Kendall wants to be very public about everything he's doing you know there's this awful moment when he wants to approach this talk show host and go on this live talk show like he's obsessed with his public image And you're right, he does seem to be having some kind of manic episode. And I think in some ways, his energy sort of reflects the audience's expectations, I think. Because after that end of season two, you're like, oh my God, a change is going to happen. Logan's going to be brought down. And that's where Kendall is at, at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the season. And then the cold reality hits that... Actually, your two siblings aren't mm-hmm. going to join you in this. They don't trust you. Actually, this lawyer that you've hired is is giving you the cold, harsh truth that maybe this evidence, these papers that you've got aren't enough. Maybe actually Logan is going to win this and win this. And maybe this this stuff that you've got on him isn't as big and, and game-changing as you think. And, and you just see him slowly, his expectations <laughs> picked away, right, and eroded throughout the season until he's once again left as... And a complete husk of a human being by the end of the season. And he
1: you know, he tries... he's essentially at some instances trying to cosplay Logan. You know, like he'll go in and yell at people to do things and everybody's just like, please go away. Yes. You don't we don't want you here, you're not contributing anything. So I think he's like his his shtick is falling short even for himself Mm. and you know we'll get to his 40th birthday party which was just tragic in so many different ways but i do think there's something quite interesting that happens with kendall's season and as we see a real nasty side to him Mm. like we kind of know that kendall's always been an asshole but we haven't seen him be so cruel like actively cruel to people. Mm-hmm. Like especially to Shiv. So there's quite a lot of misogyny showing up from Kendall. Like even in the in the second episode when she refuses to kind of join him and he yells at her that all the only marriage she has is her teats.
2: Yeah. Um
1: and then, you know, the whole uh Nirvana rape me song incident where like he specifically directs a lot of rage towards her because she's almost taken his place yeah. um in the company and next to Logan, even though she, you know, when we'll talk when we talk about Chip, we'll talk about all the different humiliations that she kind of goes through in this season, which are a lot. But there is that element of like cruelty in in Ken that shows up, especially in the first half of the season.
0: You're right, like suddenly his his complete disregard for other people around him even more than usual just because he thinks that this is his moment in the spotlight, right? It's yeah. um and 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 he so assumes that everyone is gonna be with him as well. And there's that second episode that is almost like a little chamber piece, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Where it's just he invites his siblings over yeah. to kind of try and get them to join his side. And, Ken and loves, it just goes terribly. <laughs> Ken
1: loves to talk as like business MBA oh. gobbledygook where he's like, we're gonna detoxify a brand and we can go supersonic. And everybody was like, shut up, Kendall. Yeah, like, what, what the are fuck you did talking you do? About? What are you talking about? What did you do? Have you considered this?
0: Mm-hmm. He's just yeah. buzzwords, isn't he? Basically, that's all he is. He's completely clueless. And yeah, you know, that all goes very, very badly for him. And I think this is, and and maybe this is the other kind of arc of this season, I think, mm. is that more than ever, we see the siblings really torn apart. Like to the point where, like you said, Shiv and Kendall are, for the first time, publicly destroying each other. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, that doesn't usually happen in public. And... Kendall and Roman almost coming to blows at his birthday party as well, like, yes. again, publicly really oh kind God. of going up against each other. And then, of course, making up and coming together in quite a sweet moment at the end when Kendall is at his lowest point and then and then banding together to go against their dad at the end, you I know, mean, for we, better I'm, or worse.
1: <laughs> I'm sure we'll spend about, roughly 30 minutes discussing the ending, but it is... It is like a glimpse of a possible dream.
0: (laughs) Right. Because, and that's the other brilliant thing about the tragedy of this show. And I think you see it a lot in season three, which is why on the one hand, I find it, especially on first watch, quite a frustrating watch. But I think it's all part of it is that you go, if these three just worked together and stopped trying to destroy each other... They probably could have won, you know, like, but the problem is, is that the three of them are always trying to destroy each other and get one over yeah. each other, you know.
1: And they are, you know, when this is kind of, I think, Logan's uh, smartest plan is that if they just stop trying to appeal to to their dad and to be the one winner, they could see that actually it's by combining their strengths that they could take him on. Yes, um, but they don't because they're completely traumatized they're and also maneuvered <laughs> and also they're idiots yeah. or, you know. Yeah.
0: And and actually, and they do, they do figure that out, but too late by that point, because also Shiv has fucked around her husband so much throughout this season as well, throughout the three seasons, oh, that he Shiv. finally gets one over on her as well. So, yeah, I mean, Shiv, should we talk about Shiv and the amount of...
1: Let's talk about Shiv. The amount Royce. of humiliations
0: or, that she goes through throughout this season is The
1: husk of a woman formerly known as Siobhan Roy. Jesus. He's nice. He's not nice. He's not. Shiv wants her way, I want my way. Connor wants his way, so that's even. It's not even. My opinion counts for more. No, it does, it just fucking does, okay? I know this, I know. People hate him, they fucking hate this guy. You have to look at the climate.
2: Climate said I was going down. Climate said I should just step aside. I guess I'm a climate denier.
1: Uh I'm sorry, this is how it happens? Good night. Dad? Dad, come on. He's just he's fucking dangerous. I remember even after after the season aired, I wrote a whole piece that was just titled the humiliation of Shiv Roy yeah. because the season really puts her through the ringer and you know I don't think I this is not a criticism of the season I think it's brilliant writing because she she was already taken down quite a few pegs in in the la- in the previous season and this one all of the humiliation she suffers are very gendered Yes, and she is humiliated individually by every single one of her brothers and her dad so all and her husband so all yes. the men in her life so even connor connor fucking roy <laughs> the first pancake of the united states literally tells her he doesn't want to deal with her because he will not take a no for an answer or any answer from her mm-hmm. um ken plays nirvana's rape me as she's delivering her first big speech as waystar waystar's president of domestic affairs which again is such a loaded made-up title oh my
0: god yeah
1: like she publishes this demeaning aggressive letter about kendall her brothers do not support her so she's out on her own and she obviously gets betrayed by tom towards the end roman just goes in in for her throughout at the end of the season Mm -hmm. at kendall's birthday party but also right before that he purposefully isolates her and he creates like this inner circle and constantly negs her reminding her that she's not a part of it even the fucking executives like frank and carl are complaining to logan about the fact that she's you know peeking in on them or trying to get involved. So she's been, like, placed in this made-up position of power, but has no power at all, and every door she tries keeps shutting in her face. It is devastating to see. Like, you're not really rooting for her, but still, it's devastating because Sarah Snook is, like, so emotional in those scenes when she's by herself
0: yeah i agree i think it's hard to watch like there are the moments the rape me moment is really hard to watch where you can't help but feel sorry for Shiv, and also the moment when she poses for the family photo with the fascist politician that she's so against and rightly so she's against right and there's a glimmer of her maybe showing a slight moral in that episode when she's like this is not good for the country this is not good for the world we shouldn't be supporting this guy just because it might be good for us and of course she ends up completely you know she's submitting yeah. to her father uh, and, and and posing oh. for that photo and it's such a Devastating moment for Shiv, you know? It's awful. the
1: thing that's so interesting as well about Sarah Snook's performance is, and I really hate to use this word because I think it's deeply rooted in misogyny, but like I think she does this deliberately. There's moments of real shrillness in her performance where she almost like regresses to like being a, a much like a girl. Right. When especially with Mencken in that in that chamberpiece scene when they're electing the future president of the United States, and she goes literally almost taps her foot on the floor like a child. Having a tantrum, be like, but my opinion counts for more, it just does. And everyone around her just like rolls their eyes, basically.
0: Do you think it's like, I remember there were some criticisms during season three that the character of Shiv was actually not written as well as some of the others. I don't know whether that's true or not. Like, what do you think of that? You know, the, the way in which Shiv's character is treated from season one to season three and how much she is destroyed and humiliated. I don't know. That sort of feels in keeping with all the Roy siblings to me, but what do you think?
1: I agree. Yeah. Well, I I mean I'm not I don't think it's badly written at all. I think it's really brilliantly written and I think the the thing that makes us notice it as a difference is because Shiv is a different. Yeah. Is coming from a different place because she is the only daughter. And she will be treated differently. And as much as she tries to not be, and she's definitely like not a feminist, Mm. and she's not a feminist character, but as much power and the Roy name and as much a political acumen as she can gain, she can never escape mm-hmm. the underlying misogyny that exists in that, in that space, even within her household, right? So she's constantly fighting an extra battle. So she's trying to prove herself as much as her brothers are, but she's held to a different standard. She just is. Mm-hmm. And the way that she's treated is very deliberately gendered. And I think that's incredibly... Um, specific and incredibly intentional by the show yeah it's not like trying to say some big message about like oh my god misogyny exists it's like yeah duh Mm -hmm. but it's like showing that actually those um biases supersede any wealth Mm. or any political power and you can see it because like she's the only one of the roy kids that even frank and Carl feel entitled yeah. to dismiss.
0: It's so true. It's so true. Yeah. And and th- there are these, mo- you know, there's that episode in the middle with the shareholders meeting, right? When Logan's yes. got the UTI, he's not thinking straight. Shiv kind of, like, yeah. steps up and starts making decisions, right? And suddenly decides, mm-hmm. like, she's gonna make this deal with Sandy and Stewie. It means having to, like, give up the private jets and, and give them an extra seat.
1: The beaches! Yeah, the- <laughs> the beaches. First they came for the PJs, what will they take away it's next? It's so good.
0: Um, she has to give them a seat. And she does have to, like, she does have to kind of concede a lot in order to make this deal. But ultimately sort of saves them because she makes this deal, right? Yeah, she does. So she yeah. kind of in her head and in some ways arguably this is right she kind of has a win here at this moment she does have right. a win yeah but logan doesn't seem to see it that way or the team or it's just that they don't want to admit that she won it for them but like logan mm-hmm. really explodes at her at the end of that episode doesn't he and yes. again a really difficult moment to watch in front of the whole team time to think
2: on next moves
1: uh don't you want to just savor this moment for a minute to, you know we came out of this alive
2: there's blood in the water the sharks are coming we should hustle on acquisition
1: just take this for a toast yeah oh
2: god chef I'm trying to talk to Jerry about something important stop buzzing in my fucking
1: ear well someone is feeling better
0: <laughs> and the way she tries to sort of laugh it off and keep sort of maintain her kind of pride in that moment oh it's just again it's just such a harsh humiliating moment I think isn't it
1: yeah the retired janitors of Idaho episode where she she does also look out for herself and it's quite interesting she plays the woman card with Sandy's daughter Sandy (laughs) um, by giving them both a seat on the board but oh my god when he just wats her off and he yells at her in front of everyone like stop buzzing in my fucking ear Mm. and she just has to like go away with her tail between her legs even though she's just literally made the deal that saved the company it's really, really humiliating. And I picked up on a detail in, in that particular episode where even as they're, you know, they're playing these corporate videos of, you know, executives and the Roy's talking to the shareholders, and even Shiv's video gets interrupted mm. for something else. Like it gets cut off as soon as she starts speaking. And it's just wow. like it's those tiny little details in the background of succession that you pick up when you watch it like a thousand yes. times. Yes. And it's it's like everything she does will get thwarted. Wow.
0: So she has a real bad season. She struggles with with Logan over and over again and with her relationship with Kendall. And again, she's vicious too because she obviously like responds to kendall's uh kind of humiliating her with this kind of yes and in the family's eyes she really crosses a line here right where she writes an open letter publicly about the
1: public yeah
0: about her brother's struggles with addiction with his mental health with everything else right and really digs personally into kendall publicly and that really gives kendall a, a sort of his his first kind of like dip right his first sort of depressed episode almost where he kind of melts mm. down backstage before going on this um live talk show and can't go through with it after reading this letter um yeah you know so she she still knows how to stick the knife in throughout the season when she when she needs to right as well yeah.
1: and i think we should talk about shiv and a character we only briefly mentioned in a previous episode which is their mother lady caroline yeah
0: yeah I mean
1: played by Harriet Walker
0: uh Walter yeah yeah Harriet Walter yeah who is just phenomenal right as well like she's this kind of respected veteran British actress with so much prestige and she she kind of waltzes in once you know for one or two episodes per season right and just absolutely just explodes everything doesn't she
1: we really get to see Shiv's one to one conversation with her mother in this episode, in the the penultimate episode, and it is brutal. It is so quietly brutal, like when she tells her that she was a shitty daughter, yeah. and that she's it's good that she's not gonna have children. That Caroline re- regrets having. I should children, have, had she dogs. have had dogs. Truth is, I probably should never have had children. You've made the right decision. Some people just aren't made to be mothers. I should've had dogs
0: evil fucking evil i know fucking and then she's the reason that the children she betrays her children at the end right she screws them over yeah you know they are this series ends with these three kids being fucked by their parents right every which way every which way
1: and you can just like see that coldness in shiv yeah but it's also so raw because like there's you know the people who'll be able to hurt you the most are your parents Like that, I think that applies to every single human being on the planet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Shiv is so desperately hurt by that, which is, you know, particularly weird because the whole season Tom is trying to pressure her into having a child with him. Yeah. And she's sort of batting him off. And like, we never really get that conversation. And it's not particularly that important, except Mm. that her mom tells her that she is so awful that she should not reproduce because she would be bad at it. And she's kind of a bad person anyway. It's
0: awful, isn't it? It is absolutely awful. But you, I mean, but but then, then there is a bit of me that goes, well, yeah, I mean, look at the way Kendall treats his kids, you know, or ignores his kids. I mean, kids. at all. Yeah. <laughs>
1: it's like he sees them through a fucking iPad. Yeah,
0: exactly. You know, I don't think any of these Roy kids should be reproducing, to be perfectly honest. But yeah, it is it's it's such a hard scene to watch. It's devastating. And and maybe we should talk a bit about Tom and her marriage with Tom now yes. as well. Because tom bless him is is also at his lowest point i mean this is the thing about this season is it feels like a lot of the characters are sort of at their lowest points and tom is just the sponge of shame yeah tom is the sponge of shame he's the christmas tree in which everyone is hanging their all their little cries. The career, yeah, the career cancer career <laughs> cancer he and he accepts it right this is a really interesting thing about tom and he made some good decisions ultimately right in this season but he basically decides i'm gonna take the fall for everything i'm just gonna suck it up and be the person that goes to jail be the face of this and i'm gonna tell logan that i'm gonna take the fall for him and go to prison for him and uh he he spends the first half of the season basically doesn't he just like absolutely um in a state of Ultimate sign of sort of depression knowing that he's going to prison. He's reading up about prison food and like. He
1: has pri- a binder yeah, about different prisons. Uh, yeah. He's training so that his like r- sophisticated palate can accept the tasteless prison food by going to like local diners.
0: And he knows that Shiv basically doesn't care that he's going to prison. Like Shiv kind of embraces it, you know? And like, no. It takes he- him the
1: whole season though to kind of embrace and realize the fact that. Shift doesn't have him top of mind. Yeah. And I find it really like I was watching obviously knowing what happens at the end of the season. I was watching Tom more carefully on this rewatch. Mm. And I find like the way that he he decides to sacrifice himself for Logan is like he does it in the right way where he's not asking for anything Nothing. in like in advance. He's like I will gift you. He gifts Logan his loyalty. Yeah, he's willing to go to jail for him, and doesn't want to be CEO. He does like I think that is the start of his betrayal of Shiv because he, smartly for himself, he worries about himself first, and like yeah, then he's like mupping around about it for like a whole season, but he commits to it. He's like, yes, I shall go to jail, and this is this is what I'm doing for you. Yeah. There's a few very quiet moments, like very. Very subtle, very light when, you know, Logan just touches him on the shoulder and gives him a squeeze and just whispers "I'll remember." Yeah. Like there's a few of those. And he's the one that's taking
0: he- Logan to the toilet when Logan is is unwell. Yes. Logan calls him "son." "Thank you, son." And like, yeah, it's it's yes. it's brilliant. Like you, there is this closeness developing between Tom and Logan throughout the series, right, which is kind of happening on the periphery and then ends up becoming very important at the end. Um and 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 can, you know, at this point it feels like Tom it sort of feels like he doesn't have anything to lose and he doesn't really have anything to hide up until the end. Like he is just very matter of fact. He's very himself. He's lost that kind of bullying streak slightly as well, because he's lost his own pizzazz. Um, and but, but you know he even agrees to take on Greg's crimes you know as the Christmas tree at one point he just goes sure whatever you know whatever. Um, but
1: he's lost the he's lost the will to be fancy he's lost the will to fight until until
0: the end he yeah until he takes uh, but there but there is also this other brilliant moment when he's in the middle of the season when he's at his lowest point when Kendall tries to like recruit him right in the night and they go for a little clandestine meeting in like a diner in the middle of the night and Tom says sort of the thing that we all are. Thinking thinking throughout these whole three seasons which is he's like I've never seen Logan get fucked over but you seem to get fucked over over and over again right and
1: my hunch is that you're going to get fucked because I've seen you get fucked a lot yeah. and I haven't seen Logan get fucked once
2: yeah how exactly does it work if I if I do come over to you I mean how how is it better for me when I tell my wife whom I love and this family that I'm turning against them how She'll respect you. But ha- And I don't mean to be insulting, but having been around a bit, my hunch is that you're going to get fucked. Because I've seen you get fucked a lot. And I've never seen Logan get fucked once.
1: What a
0: line. What a line. And, and, and so that's why... At the end of the show, he ends up absolutely aligning himself with Logan over his own wife, over the Roy mm. siblings, right? Well,
1: I don't know if you, I, I wonder if you, if you pick this up as well. I thought it was so beautifully done. The moment where I could see his betrayal happening in real time. You know, in the last episode, when Shiv calls him from the car as they're running to, um to confront Logan, yeah. he, she calls Tom. Yeah. And the first thing he asks her is, what about me, Shiv? And she's like, yeah, yeah, we'll sort it out. We'll sort it out. Yeah. I think that's when he's like, okay. She's not even she's thinking not g- about me. No. She's not even thinking about me. No. I need to look out for myself. And I he, have leverage
0: now. And he used it. To, he uses that fact to his advantage that like, she does not even consider me a threat. She would never in a yes. million years think that I would do this to her right and and it's true she doesn't Tom is like a footnote to her throughout this whole season like she barely thinks about him and and talks to him and gives him the time of day right and uh, he uses that to his advantage at the end
1: well can we talk as well about their I mean we talked about their relationship but their the romantic side of their relationship oh god it, the the, Which, the dirty talk i mean i don't think that's what he meant by dirty talk but i don't think anybody wants to hear from their like spouse it's like you're not good enough not for good me enough. and i don't love you Fuck, it's Fucking hell.
0: and then the n- <laughs> Jesus. it's so awful and then the next morning when he's like oh that pillow talk got a bit spicy didn't it and then when he sort of brings it up there's this weird thing she says to him where she goes what does she say? She says, "I, I, Eve, I don't love you, but I do. I, but I do love you, or something." Let's...
1: It's like the thing you'd say to a pet. It's like, I mean, I don't love you, yeah.
0: but you know, I'm quite fond of you. Yeah. She, she literally says the words, "I don't love you," to him the next morning, even out of that pillow talk context, right? So she is. Shiv. Yeah, she's an idiot.
1: How are you not gonna get betrayed after that? Yeah. How are you not gonna get betrayed? Yeah
0: she underestimates Tom I love it I love it um, and there's this brilliant moment as well before the reveal that Tom has betrayed her where he approaches Greg right and kind of recruits Greg and, and at that point we don't know we're thinking is he inviting Greg to come and join this insurrection against Logan with the Roy siblings right I guess that's what we're led to believe that he's planning yes. to pair like team up with Shiv and the siblings and bring down Logan and he's like do you want to make but not really but not really when he says do you want to make is... a deal with the devil and join
2: me oh. you know Oh, it's great. Who has ever looked after you in this fucking family?: huh? All right. well, in terms of where I could be getting to, if I were to come with,: You could be heading away from the endless middle and towards the bottom of the top.: The bottom of the top.: Listen, I, I have things to do. Um, do you want a deal? with the devil.
1: What am I going to do with a soul anyways? (laughs) Souls are boring. Boo, souls. <laughs> It's so good. It's like, it's a misdirect because we think that he's aligning himself with Shiv, but actually he's already clearly decided to align himself with Logan. It's great. And he's bringing, he's bringing Greg, his Sporus,
0: mm. um,
1: <laughs> with him, his castrated wife.
0: <laughs> and actually, Greg, why don't we talk about Greg now? Because... I do think, unfortunately, maybe the character of Greg and his arc is the one weak link in this season. Writing-wise, I I don't think it's as strong as everything else. I I feel like they don't quite know what to do with Greg and they're sort of treading water with him. So he's sort of the comic relief throughout. He's flip-flopping between working for Kendall and working for Logan. He has all these problems with his grandpa who is trying to encourage him to use his old solicitor. That's kind of funny. And then he ends up getting... and then he ends up losing his inheritance to Greenpeace and then he wants to sue Greenpeace and then he has this whole uh sort of love story arc where he's trying to chat up Comfrey and then he wants to be with the Contessa I don't know it just it it feels a bit like they're kind of hopping through different funny sitcom scenarios with Greg throughout this season and they don't quite know where he fits yeah
1: I agree I think I think he is the weakling and I do think that side of a couple of really really good scenes, particularly the ones with Tom and mm. the one that he shares with Logan where he tries to but not really negotiate and he like learns what lever- having leverage means. <laughs> oh yeah. Um
0: that's good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he is
1: he's is a very reactive character in the season. He doesn't really do mm. that much. Um he is sort of, you know, not as Machiavellian as people give him credit for. He is like sort of smart and I guess the only other thing that drives him this season is like trying to to ask Comfrey out for a date and then debating between Comfrey and the Contessa in the last few episodes. So he's very much yeah. in that comic relief, you know, being picked upon, but more comfortable with his money and his status now.
0: Mm, I know. Yeah, it's interesting. And again, I'm I'm really intrigued to see what's going to happen with Greg next season. You know, him and Tom are going to be on Team Logan, I'm assuming, like in this next season. And I think, like you said, when he's at his best is when it's him and Tom you know bouncing back and forth together when they're a double act right I think and um I think maybe I was missing that this season or something I don't know I felt like I just didn't really care about the stuff to do with his like grandfather's solicitor and all of that stuff it was funny
1: but it didn't really add that much to Greg you know when he's trying to sue Greenpeace so we know that Greg kind of like comes into his own as an asshole but he doesn't really get that much to do he doesn't He's not like a very active character.
0: Um, We should go back to Roman and talk about, you know, just what happens to a lot of these characters in the last few episodes in their downfalls, right? Roman is really riding high up until a moment in which he accidentally sends the wrong message to the wrong person, right? Sends a
1: dick pic (laughs) meant for Jerry to his dad (laughs) in one fell swoop, like destroying his uh, position of favourite son with his father exposing his illicit activities with jerry very one-sided i might add uh multiple times he's harassing her and she's gently but firmly like shutting him down and he just will not Mm -hmm. take an no for an answer and kind of isolating himself once more
2: are you a sicko what is this why do you send them
1: it's just you know it's like
2: here's my dick Oh, what? Like, uh, fuck you? People just send each other pics of their dicks. People send each other pics of their dicks. But why?
1: why? Why? I don't know. It's just like, here's my dick, I guess.
0: Another devastating, humiliating moment, right? It's just so much humiliation for these kids what in this season. What a it performance
1: is. in that scene <laughs> oh
0: alone. I mean, we talked about how this is Roman season. I really do think that Kieran Culkin gives the performance of his career in this season and particularly in the last few episodes of this season that moment when he realizes who he sent the message to going from like confusion to panic to humiliation to what do i do how do i treat this to trying to just kind of shrug it off and be like yeah that's just me dad i do that kind of thing like everything in that performance is just so real and it's perfection I think I yeah. agree
1: I think Kieran Culkin is such a physical performer too like he yeah. is so you know he shrinks into his body in this way yeah. just trying to make himself as small as possible because he's so embarrassed and like again you know he's very he's very funny in the room with people he's very good one on one you know the his relationship with Jerry which is much more like mentor and mentee and he's sort of a puppy dog around her and once again defends her several times when Logan decides he wants to fire her after like Roman's shenanigans are exposed to him he's like you know I'm not a radical feminist but maybe don't fire the woman that I was sending dick pics to (laughs) (laughs) yeah I know it's great great. same as with Kendall there is a real cruel streak to Roman that pops up this, this season especially at Kendall's birthday party.
0: Yes, he is feeling like King of the Castle in that episode at at Kendall's party, right? Because he's making this deal with Alexander Skarsgård's character. He's kind of his dad's favourite at this point in the season. And kendall as the the enemy of his dad this is the this is the moment right when logan decides to finally get rid of him once and for all Mm -hmm. sends him a birthday card that just says cash out and fuck off with an offer to basically buy kendall out for two billion and you just think god kendall just take it get the fuck out take the money right um And Roman takes such glee in kind of delivering this to Kendall. And yeah, you're right, like absolutely pushes Kendall to his absolute limit in this episode. And then
1: literally pushes him over. He doesn't hit him, he sort of taps him on the shoulder, but Ken is so downtrodden at that point and so down that he keels over and Roman just laughs at him. And he also absolutely demolishes Shiv. You know, he makes fun of her, of the Shiv dance. Iconic, by the way. Iconic. Um, but, and then just talks her down so harshly, saying all the things that she's afraid of hearing. You know, that the this boys club is just getting together and doing the real business behind her back. That nobody takes her seriously. Then dad doesn't really listen to her, doesn't care about her. Like, that she's... um she's just being a busybody and not actually doing the business. That she, even if, no matter how capable or how much she wants it, she never will be able to get in those rooms because they're reserved for men only. He really, like, twists the knife in with that. And she is properly hurt as well because, like, she barely acknowledges him in the next episode where she's like, yeah, whatever. Whatever you say. Don't care. Not listening. Yeah, And, you know, and she also did cross the line with... um with roman beforehand like very early on in the season and he seems to have like held on to that when he That's when he right. really gets into her in the in the birthday party episode
0: well this is it this is where you really feel like the, the the kind of main crux of this season is these siblings really destroying each other right when they should be coming together which they finally learn at the end but yeah it is it's hard to watch just how brutal they all are to each other in that episode and Poor Kendall, like, this is, you know, this is the moment when he really melts down, doesn't he, Mm. his birthday party, that he wants to be this amazing, cool thing that he's going to invite everyone to. He's planning this performance on stage at the end, and he, again, you see his spirit slowly and slowly get destroyed throughout this party, and... And it all culminates in this moment when he's got this pile of presents that he doesn't give a shit about. His girlfriend has given him a watch and he's like, what, what am I going to do with this? This means yeah. nothing. I have a watch. All he wants is to find the presents from his children because his children made him something, right? And he, he can't find it and he it just absolutely destroys him. There's just that, that, that realisation, I think, isn't there, that his life is just empty like he has nothing he doesn't have any real friends Mm. all these people who turned up to his party couldn't care less about him his his siblings don't really like him or have any respect for him at this point and he has no relationship with his own kids and he's just like it he really hits like rock bottom at this moment in time doesn't he i think and then we the the following episode we get the swimming the swimming pool moment as well so he's really at his lowest point here
1: yeah which is you know it's incredibly uh, earnestly performed by by Jeremy Strong, but there's also this thing that Ken says. He says it several times, and specifically at this uh, at the party scene where he tells Roman and Shiv that they're not real people. Yeah.
2: Did you come here to see me at all? You didn't. get you, Shiv.
1: Well, look, we haven't been getting along that great lately. So, what do you think? Surprise.
2: Gojo was my idea. <laughs> You stole my idea.
1: (laughs) You stole my idea. What are you, fucking six? Dude, you lost. Let me do. No need to cry about it. You lost. You're a bunch of stuck-up cunts who can't fucking bear to see me win. That's it. That's all this
2: is. You're not a real person. You know that? You're not a real person. You're not real.
1: Come on. Why don't you hit me, baby? Come on, shitty Jesus. You know you want to. Just fucking hit me. Do it. I'm not a real person sometimes when he you know that's how he's really hurt when he's really hurt he just goes back to this thing of like which is a very waystar thing of real people and not real people and they know the waystar corporation refers to not real people the kind of any 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 women people of color working or workers yeah But in this case, Roman is, uh, Ken is like, no, you just have no soul, no humanity whatsoever. You don't, you're not real. What Mm. you're doing is just inhumane, um, to an obscene degree. And I think maybe we, we should talk about, you know, considering that this, uh, after the eighth episode where the show... Really teased right before the finale whether Kendall had accidentally drowned or not in the pool, kind of face down, completely out of it with a beer in his hand and his sunglasses on his back.
0: We thought, was Um, Kendall about to die, basically, right, at that moment?
1: Exactly. And between that eighth episode and the finale of season three, a now infamous New Yorker profile of Jeremy Strong dropped Mm. and absolutely went viral for, I want to say, like a week, which is a long time in internet in internet time.
0: Yeah, it, it, it really was. That was a long week, wasn't it? Between that cliffhanger mm. and not knowing if Kendall was dead and also this New Yorker piece coming out about Jeremy Strong. Yeah, what did you think of that piece? I reread it again this morning. And, you know, it really goes into such detail about... Jeremy Strong there are parallels it feels like that the article draws between Jeremy Strong and Kendall right that he's this mm. guy who takes himself very very seriously as an actor he almost goes kind of method actor in in his in his approach oh extreme
1: method right yeah his
0: heroes are people like Daniel Day-Lewis and Robert De Niro and Al Pacino and Dustin Hoffman and the, the The sort of thrust of the of the, the the piece at the beginning is about how he just kept failing in his career over and over again and how that like built him into this person with these slightly sad eyes who takes himself very very seriously on set right and it's a really interesting piece. What what do you make of it?
1: That's really interesting that you bring that up because I kind of had a slightly different read on it. I remember reading it at a time and thinking, "Wow, this is such a a fascinating kind of unglitzy portrait of someone who is." Uh, Incredibly intense about their work and also a striver. So, like in that piece uh, that's written by Michael Shulman, who's been a writer for The New Yorker for a very long time now and often does like these big, meaty profiles of actors and and celebrities, um, he compares them to Eve Harrington, who is the the younger actress character in all about eve who is like usurping the place of a very well established but aging actress marco channing in the film uh because of his kind of devotion to daniel day lewis and he was uh daniel day lewis's assistant for a year while he was filming um i can't remember what film that they talked about but he has this like what I took away from it is that he's always been this intense about acting even as a kid even as a teenager even you know and he because he comes from a working class background he like made his way up he made his way to Yale on a scholarship he then like Just as he says in the piece, wrote letters to people to get like a recommendation letter from DreamWorks to get into Yale, to get on set close to actors he admired, to Mm. work in, you know, work on projects that he that would put him in close proximity to like people he whose work he wanted to observe and stuff. And he constantly worked, but he was, you know, as he uh, as the writer puts him in like a really amazing but really brutal line uh shulman writes that he has the hand dog face of someone who wasn't destined for stardom which is like he is a character actor and in the in the decade of you know he compares him to chris evans because jeremy strong went to the same high school as chris evans sister older sister like he doesn't he just was not matched with the sort of roles and the, um, the kind of actors that the industry was looking at for in his younger years. And when, and when kind of television and the golden era of television came up, that's when kind of character actors like him could really find meaty roles and also stardom and success. Right. Yeah. Jeremy strong is a really interesting kind of star who is a TV star as opposed to a movie star, which has only really come about in the last decade or so. And, He is so intense. And I think kind of what was interesting about the reaction to that piece is the New Yorker is like world renowned for their like proofing and their fact checking and the quality of their reporting and the writing, right? So nothing in that piece is untrue. But there is also this culture right now in entertainment writing and celebrity profiling in particular, where everything is PR to such an extreme degree that when you know, you read or see something that isn't fitting into a fluffier formula, you're almost taken aback. Like, it seems like a criticism, even when it isn't. I don't think it's a criticism. I don't think he comes off either... I don't think he comes off particularly badly uh, or particularly well. He just comes off as someone who's very intense, very interesting, and very interested in his work. And also this, like, detail that I found very amusing of him like being very into clothes and like high-end clothes even when he was absolutely poor and had like no money and was like living on michelle williams couch and stuff yeah
0: but he had like two gucci sweaters and that was it kind of thing yeah Yeah, and like that's
1: what he wore and i was there's a really great uh interview with michael shulman the writer on the long form podcast which i listen to a lot where he talks about extensively about this profile and the fact that like he spent so much time and it it comes through in the piece he spent like six months working on this piece
0: oh yeah it really comes through yeah yeah.
1: it's not like this you know half an hour interviews that we get in this country it's like no you're going to spend six months in different locations in different situations you're going to his house you're going to meet talk to everyone who knows him who's worked with him you're going to talk to his wife meet his children like There is an incredible amount of depth in there. And what was really interesting to me, also as someone who does not come from anything even remotely close to the industry I now work in, there is a a judgmental reaction to strivers. And there was a response to... Uh, This piece in the New York Times called like in defense of Jeremy Strong and all the strivers who have no chill with which I strongly identify as a striver with no chill where it's like he is such an ambitious person as an actor and like it really came through this thing that the way he wanted to work really wasn't given to him until Succession. And he was going to take it super fucking seriously. And kind of that's where that the beauty of this performance comes through is I think Jesse Armstrong, the creator, says this, that he everyone else is playing it like a comedy. He's playing it like he's doing Hamlet. Yeah. yeah. And it's amazing. It's it's an incredible read. I definitely recommend it to anyone if they haven't read it to reread it before the next season.
0: And what do you think of the way in which his co-stars talk about him in that piece as well because this piece has interviews with Brian Cox, right, um with Kieran Culkin and they are it's interesting, isn't it? I, you know, they're not rude about him, but I feel I do feel like there's a bit of subtext there to say maybe he is difficult to work with, you know? Uh, you know, that Brian Cox says something like, um, Brian Cox almost sounds concerned about him more than anything. He sort of says the, the method acting, it's a cost to himself that worries me. I just feel that he has to be kinder to himself and therefore has to be a bit kinder to everybody else. Um which is interesting, right? And then and then uh Kieran Culkin said uh that the way that they approach acting is kind of different, you know, and that uh that that Jeremy Strong approaches everything like it's a battle. Kieran Culkin said, This isn't a battle, this is a dance. And he says, you know, his approach, it might be something that helps him, it doesn't really help me. So I feel like they are maybe they find it frustrating, you know?
1: It's not surprising because I imagine, and there's been a lot of discourse about kind of method acting and kind of how far it can be pushed and whether it's, you know, kind or even, you know, acceptable for the co-stars and the co-workers of the actors who want to go so intensely method. What I thought Mm. about those quotations is that they came off as, like, kind and loving, but also you know, not bullshit. They weren't bullshit. They were saying kind of, it is it is kind of annoying. It can be annoying. It can be intense. You worry about this person. And also, you, because you have differing methods, you kind of think, well, I don't need this. Then why do you need this? And I think that can be applied to any creative, you know? Like, do you need... Uh, You know, we both make podcasts, like we make them in very different ways. Mm. So, yeah, and I think the same with writing, you know, if we're rewriting something like a big piece or a book or something, you might need to go to a secluded cabin and I might just like need to go to a coffee shop. Different methods for different creative practices, right? And I do not think it was a hatchet job at all. I do think that the, the environment in which kind of these kind of profiles exist now like a lot of the ones you read are just so overly fluffy and positive yeah and i think that would do a disservice to jeremy Strong's seriousness too like i don't think it's a bad thing that he's so serious i don't think it's a bad thing that he's a striver like those are good things he's created something really impeccable and amazing that's captured people's imaginations Um, and that he will absolutely like define the rest of his career and 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 his work i do i do know you know he's commented on this that he thought it was a hatchet job which i do find quite sad but
0: yeah there's a there's a hollywood uh, reporter article in which he says it was 15 minutes of shame that profile right which is yeah i i sort of agree with you like i i don't think it's as strong as that as to say it's a hatchet job at all i think that 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 article, like you said, it presents the facts and it paints a picture of this guy, and then people can make their own mind up on him based on that i think right yeah. and uh, you 're right you know he's, he's as long as he's not, as long as he 's not hurting other human beings in what he does. I, 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 don't, I think it's great that he's a striver and that he takes his job seriously look at the end result I mean I Kendall Roy is incredible he's, he's going to be a character that we are going to be talking about for decades and decades right totally. He's he is this Shakespearean like, tragic character you if know, he was wonderful. doing
1: all of this and torturing his castmates in the way that like you know um, Jared Leto or somebody Jared Leto does and then produces absolute dog shit of a performance then that that would deserve a hatchet job but like it's an impeccable performance and he takes it very seriously but kind of in a way that um, Brian Cox mentions it. He mostly... Suffers himself. It's not like he's making others suffer. He's taking it out on himself. So it's this like martyrdom element of it. That is, I, I'm, yeah, I would imagine it is quite worrying if you're very close to a person and you're working with them in such close proximity for a long time. But ultimately, he's not, you know, sending weird shit to Sarah Snook or to Brian Cox. And as a side note, by the way, everyone should absolutely read or listen to the audiobook of Brian Cox's. Oh my God.
0: It's so a- autobiography, good. Autobiography,
1: a rabbit um, a rabbit out of the hat, especially it, the audiobook because he narrates it and he's incredible.
0: It's br- Well, I was just about to bring that up because, you know, Brian Cox would be honest, I think. Like oh he God. has been about his co-stars in the past who go full method, who Have are Have you seen you know?
1: this article in Vulture that is constantly updated that is just titled Is Brian Cox Allowed to Say This? And it's just a list <laughs> of things that he said publicly to press where you're like, Brian
0: i love it <laughs> I, I love him i love him so much it's so wonderful isn't it but yeah i mean maybe this is a nice place to kind of finish mm. on talking about the the way that this season ends because you know in in that way that people worried about jeremy strong people were like kendall is at a very low worrying point at the end of season three right like it, you know that moment when he falls off the lilo in the pool it is quite ambiguous because is it accidental is he trying to take his own life there? Like, is it just that he doesn't care anymore? Um, is he going to die? Is he not? There were so many questions after that penultimate episode ended, right?
1: What do you think?
0: <sighs> I think maybe he had given up. Like, I think maybe he was at the point where he he fell and he just let himself go. Like, the... the, yeah. the I don't know whether he was actively going to take his own life but then maybe at that moment he fell into the water and he just thought fuck it you know that's how I read that moment um what about you
1: I I agree with you Mike I think I think that's that's exactly what I think I don't think he was actively trying to commit suicide yeah. but I do think that he just did not have the The desire, the will to fight back if it
0: happens. And it's so sad because that exact moment, his son is right there too. Like not even his kids can help him get out of this moment that he's in, out of this episode. And we kind of jump forward a little bit in time in the next episode in that he's been, he spent the night in hospital and he's sort of okay. Well, he's okay physically um, and uh, sort of comes back to them. And it's a very... It's a very Roy family moment, right? Where they're
1: all playing... and mon- they try to do an intervention. They're playing Monopoly. They, being, yeah, yeah,
0: they sort of try to be caring. They're not really very good at it, right?
2: Are you trying to shut me down? Um, you kind of tried to kill yourself, dude, and that's not cool. I fell off an inflatable. Okay. Why do you get to do an intervention on me? Seriously? Well, you need an intervention. You need an intervention. You need an intervention.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. But you're kind of the top of the pile right now. We'll do me tomorrow, yeah? Yeah, suicides jump from the line.
2: I fell off my fucking floaty.
1: You're an addict. You're addicted to booze and to drugs and relationships and sex and work and the family drama.
2: No, sorry. No. I mean, look who's fucking here. I, I, I don't see it. You, you don't have any standing.
0: I think that this final episode is is wonderful from beginning to end, mm. right? I think every character gets this brilliant little moment we haven't even spoken about Connor, but I think Connor gets some great moments in this final episode the the The, the Roy siblings and the moment they have together by the bins when Kendall has his meltdown <laughs> it's like this beautiful tableau right as Kendall is it's sat incredible. on the on the road and his Just... and his siblings are trying to comfort him with a sort of hand on a shoulder. All and of like, that is just gorgeous, isn't it?
1: It's it's a beautiful scene. And I think actually that is the catharsis that Kendall needed. Because for two seasons, he's been holding this horrible guilt and this horrible secret in. And the only person that knows is Logan and his bodyguard. And they're torturing him with it actively and then when he finally tells Shiv and Roman they just accept it and they each try to comfort him in the ways that they can you know Roman is not very much about physical touch but he tries to he cracks jokes you know it's like well you know who's the real victim here had to wait 45 (laughs) minutes for a gin and tonic Yeah, and he just laughs and he makes them laugh and you can see that dynamic that exists between them you know he's been he's gone to Shiv for like a hug before Mm -hmm. so she comforts him that way And they just let it go. And even in that one, from one scene to another, Kendall is already lighter on his feet. Yes, yes. Like, it's so visible. And then when they kind of start teaming up together, he springs into action. You know, his MBA springs into action.
0: It is, that is the moment, like you said, it's a moment of catharsis for Kendall. It's a moment of catharsis for all of us, I think, right? This is the moment when finally... They are there for each other in a real human way. Even Roman, in his fucked up, really bad taste jokes. Is comforting his brother in his own way, right? And this is the moment when they finally come together after a season of being apart and go, actually, we could work together. We even Roman admits we could be quite a great. We could be a great
1: team. But you know, fuck you. I hate you. (laughs) But we could be a great team. But fuck you.
0: (laughs) And it's perfect, isn't it? And you go, yeah, good for you three, in a way. Although it's it's too little, too late, of course. But they they finally reach this point where they're there for each other emotionally and um, you know business wise and yeah like they realise that they that they they their dad is not who they should be allying with. You know, no. it's 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 all about each other. So, yeah, um, it's a lovely finale, I think.
1: Uh, yeah, and especially, I mean, it's a brutal finale. And we have to <laughs> talk brutal. about the actual, like, final, final scene when they all three of them confront Logan and they have already lost. It's already a done deal. Their mum, Lady Caroline, has fucked them over.
0: What, what is it? So, essentially, Alexander Skarsgård character is, is going to... Buy them, essentially. So the so right? essentially
1: the roles are reversed. So instead of Waystar buying Gojo, which is a company, the streaming company owned by Alexander Skarsgard matson mm-hmm. um, the sort of Swedish um, Elon Elon Musk type yeah. uh, entrepreneur, he they reverse it and now Gojo is going to acquire a majority in Waystar. And Logan's just gonna cash out, right? And he's gonna just gonna give up the company. But technically because of the divorce agreements that he agreed with Caroline in order to protect the children's stake in the company he they have the majority
2: mm. of
1: the of the uh, of the stakes in this so he needs their permission in order to make a sale this big but With Tom's information, he goes behind their backs, he rewrites the divorce agreement, which gives him all the power, and he effectively sells the company from under them, he cuts them out, he leaves them with nothing. I mean, you know, we don't get that much specifics, but that's what's, you know, that's That's the reality of it. Yeah. Yeah
0: absolutely yeah we we see the three of them really like for the first time i think like absolute sheer terror and panic in roman's eyes and shiv's eyes particularly right and it's
1: really interesting that kendall is the one that's like more sober through this, he's the one who's like, well, you know, it's one more thing. He's already, he already kind of requested being let out. Yeah. And Logan didn't want to give him that. He wanted to continue, like, having them there as his dog to kick. Mm. Shiv is absolutely in shock. And I watched this interview with Matthew McFadden, who said that she looked like she was um, like about to cry and about to puke and also about to like kill someone all at the same time yes and and put. roman is the one who literally has a physical and total breakdown because he goes from person to person like even to his dad being like you can't do this because because love and he's like fuck off and then he goes to jerry and jerry oh delivers the honestly great life advice, the business school of Jerry Kelman. How does this serve my interest? I am here to serve the interests of the company and my own interests. And Roman's face is just pure devastation, and he like he ends up on the floor, it just crumbled. Mm-hmm. And that I also read that that was like, um, that essentially parallels the scene in the on the bins yeah where kendall is on the floor and they put a, a, a hand on his shoulders and ken does the same to roman and it's like this beautiful parallel of the siblings finally kind of banding together even in a shitstorm yeah and that's when we get this can we can we just can we just appreciate <laughs> the moment when we just there's a cut to the door and And we see Logan exiting the door. And from one side, Tom in his beautiful cream-colored linen suit Mm -hmm. comes out. And Logan just puts his arm on his shoulder and says good job oh
0: it's like something out of the godfather isn't it oh. i i think it's it's no oh my god it's no coincidence that we're in italy through this because i really do feel like i'm watching some sort of godfather uh, you know opus in this episode and it is just beautiful that and moment sh-
1: also can we just like the stakes for next season right for the season that's about to start next week is that siobhan is the only one who has seen this Tom doesn't know that she knows. Her brothers don't know what's happened. They're still in shock. Logan doesn't know that she knows. So what she's going to do with this bomb of information. And the whole season ends on Sarah Snook's face as Siobhan Roy. When Tom touches her and she flinches. Mm -hmm. But she knows she everything is tense. In her face and her body language. But she knows she like this this information is like a bomb. She cannot react in the moment. And
0: what does it actually mean identical. for these three? Like, are they actually going to have no money? Like, what does it mean now that they've been cut off? Know. We don't really know. I mean, it can't be that they, they're still going to be wealthy as fuck, right? It's just that they're not going to have any power, maybe? I don't know. Like, so
1: I definitely don't know. I mean, maybe this is like a good point of like talking about what we think might happen in season four. Because that's one of my big questions too. It's like, what does this actually mean? Because as we know from, you know, the soap opera that is real life, very rich people Stay rich. Don't just stop being very rich people. Yeah. yeah. So they like, still got how is that gonna They've manifest? still got a
0: mother that is literally a, a lady, right? A landowner, yeah. old money. They've still got a father who is the richest person in the world. Like they're not gonna be in the dire straight right but it's going to be yeah. so interesting i remember all the jokes coming out of like that finale being like it's season four are we going to see the three roy kids like flipping burgers in burger king for money and stuff i mean i somehow <laughs> don't think that's going to be the case but i just can't wait to see what i would like to see now is a little change up of the status quo right i, I don't want to see shiv once again screw over her two brothers to go crawling back to Logan and become the CEO again. Like I I, I kind mm. of, and I think now that this is the last season, I hope that we're going to see something blow up. Like, is it going to be the three Roy kids versus their father throughout this next season and what's going to yes. happen? You know, it's going to be so interesting.
1: And I wonder as well, uh, if this is, whose season this is going to be. <laughs> yeah. Because if it was Kendall's, Shiv's and Roman season, I actually, I don't think it's going to be Connors.
0: It's going to be Logan. I think it
1: might be Logan's.
0: I think it, especially if it's the last season, it's going to be yeah. Logan, isn't it? Because yeah.
1: also the tension of, you know, Logan is not someone who relishes giving up control. Mm-hmm. And as someone who sold the company that he's built to like this upstart techpreneur, um, tech entrepreneur or whatever, mm. he's going to have some, there's going to be some issues there and that dynamic between Mattson and Logan and with his kids like doing some shenanigans kind of on the side I think it might be I think it might be the season that actually makes us fully understand Logan or like really get under his skin
2: what have you got in your fucking hand
1: what have I got
2: I don't know fucking love love you come for me with love You bust them here, guns in hand, and now you find they've turned to fucking sausages. You talk about love? You should have trusted me. Dad, why? Why? Because it works. I fucking win. Oh, go on, go on, fuck off, you nosy fucking pedestrians.
0: Had. Huh. Hey. there's a lot of stuff that this next season has to do right it's it's going to be the future of waystar with this new tech bro kind of being in charge of things that's going to be quite a big part of it you've got things happening like the election potentially right and and mm. and you know there's going to be politics coming into it i'm sure and this like horrible fascist guy who logan has kind of aligned himself with versus the the actual president who they call the raisin right who is stepping down that's going to be going on in the background you've got other family things happening like connor's wedding potentially yes, uh, which we haven't There's talked always about a wedding in
1: every season
0: <laughs> could it end with with connor's wedding because uh we haven't really talked about connor connor doesn't do a whole lot in this season but he does get doesn't. engaged to willa at the end after he proposes to her publicly and she sort of says oh let me think about it and then there's that brilliant moment when she just goes do you know what fuck it fuck, fuck it. it
1: yeah <laughs> let's do it and then the instant regret as she get in, gets into that car where she's like oh no yeah. i was just trying to be nice but i think i think i did a bad a bad thing
0: and she's like sobbing through the next scene at the <laughs> wedding and greg's like wow she's really feeling it <laughs> it's great yeah. Mm. yeah i mean connor has some fun little moments and i do think he has a good moment at the end when they're all sat around the table and he really blows up at them for kind of ignoring him as the eldest son and you know sometimes there are these little hints dropped in that Connor was quite a maybe a good big brother to them once upon a time like yes. that moment when Roman has to kind of um, recount a story about Logan taking him fishing and it wasn't Logan it was actually Connor who took him fishing and then you mm. get these little hints don't you of like once upon a time I think these four might have been quite close and Connor maybe took quite good care of, of these people and that there's maybe something bad that went on with connor's mother right and that connor was kind of apart or estranged from the rest of them for like a year or two and stuff Mm -hmm. and we don't hear much about that but i'd love to know a little bit more about connor's backstory in season four as well same
1: we get a little bit of him because even you know in his uh in their intervention for kendall Mm. connor goes off when ken refers to himself as the as the eldest son and he's like i'm literally here (laughs) i am the oldest son of our shared father and just like well you know it's like it's like he doesn't count because his mother is a different woman he's like he he mentions that he was he didn't see dad for three years
0: yes that's right which i'm
1: like okay there's there's so much going on with connor but like yeah he literally gets forgotten
0: Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. yeah he's like
1: nobody remembers that he's the eldest son
0: uh and you're right you know he's i think he's too much of a sort of broad character to to say that the whole focus of season four is going to be about him i'm sure but i would not be surprised if like you said the the series ends with his wedding episode like that's out that seems like a succession thing to do um here's a dark here's a dark question for you do we think anyone's gonna is anyone gonna die in this final season you know, do we think Logan... Mm-hmm. Is it going to end with Logan dying, potentially? You know, that's been it teased be since season poetic. one, episode one, in a way, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, he has been, like, pretty... Has had quite a lot of health issues throughout the three seasons. I'm not ruling it out. I'm not ruling it out. On the one hand, it could... I think, again, perhaps it's Logan's death, but it's not in the way that we expected. It. Perhaps it's, it's a death that comes out. After everything with the business has been... Resolved. Sorted out. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or there'll be some really dramatic thing where... He's got one last sort of laugh over his kids and screwed them over at the very last minute while he's on his deathbed with some sign, <laughs> with some signing of some piece of paper, and then very Logan. we see a little evil smile on his face as he dies or something like that. I you know? <laughs> <laughs> would be surprised. Or,
1: or he like dies alone because his kids just like he's pushed them away so much that there's no one left there.
0: That is a very distinct possibility too i think right you know like the 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 sort of steve jobs thing of him maybe coming to the realization on his deathbed that he's lost everyone in his life for what just a big pile of cash basically is all he's ever wanted exactly yeah no i I mean i'm so excited i can't believe that it's going to start next week anna and we're finally going to see what happens next (laughs)
1: <laughs> shall we do uh one last time some of our favorite quotes and our favorite moments from this season yes let's do it i i have a lot so i'm just gonna like pile them on because Go i can so when stewie calls um, sandy a belligerent zucchini <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> when madsen in his introduction just says that all he wants is privacy pussy pasta oh my just god just put it in a shirt for me yeah Uh, when roman says don't open pandora's box there's just more dicks in there
0: (laughs) so good so good
1: and obviously jerry's how does it serve my interest
0: oh it's so good it's so cold and so brilliant and sound advice in this world of succession what about
1: you what are some of your faves well i i feel like i
0: choose a tom and greg moment every time but it's it's always tom's lines that absolutely kill me <laughs> and his his sporous speech to greg you know about the castrated <laughs> man who becomes the wife and how he tells greg I i'd castrate <laughs> i'd castrate you in a heartbeat it's so good <laughs> yeah. and also every line that roman says is hilarious i love the, f- the first episode when Logan gets into the car and he's like, do you want me to ride with you? And Logan goes, do you want to suck my dick? And then Roman goes, he said to his son as the sexual allegations
1: rolled in. (laughs) Incredible. And when Jerry tells him off and he's like, don't tell me off, Jerry, I don't have time to jerk off right now.
0: (laughs) There you go. That's, that's it. I can't believe we've done it, Anna. We're up to date. Officially.
1: I'm scared. I've like genuinely. I'm scared. Like I know it starts next week. I know we're going to get into uncharted territory. I'm genuinely terrified about what's going to happen.
0: I can't wait, and it's going to be agonising but wonderful watching just one episode a week as well. You know, this like this is it's like you said, it's kind of like monoculture. It's water cooler television. We don't have many of these these days. You know, Game of Thrones was maybe the only other thing I can think of in recent yeah. years like that. Right where the world is going to be watching it together every week for the next like 10 weeks and it's going to be incredible i already can't wait for the discourse i can't wait for the recaps i'm into it
1: and i have to ask you because you know we 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 will probably get screeners of the episodes so we can record this podcast in a timely fashion without losing much sleep do you think if you get screeners for a bunch of episodes, you're going to watch them all in one go, or are you going to go episode by episode?
0: I'm going to go episode by episode. If I if I can manage self-control, Anna, <laughs> I think that yeah. I want to watch each episode. I'll probably watch a screener that we get a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I'll probably also watch the version that airs in the UK, so I feel like I'm watching it with everyone else. But I plan to watch every episode two to three times before we podcast about it, before that episode then drops on the Tuesday. Because also, you know, every episode of six session is so dense it's you know i and i kind of want to savor every morsel rather than just kind of binge through it if that makes sense what about you
1: very same i'll probably watch it arguably three or four times before we record each episode because exactly what you said there is so much going on and in the same way as it was season three even though i wasn't you know covering it in this way I I wanted to see it. Uh, the energy of the first watch. It's like I can't take notes during that. I'm just like worried I'll miss something. Yeah. And the second and the third, you're kind of going through the details and making notes and researching and reading about other what other people have read and uh, have written and have said about the the particular episode. But I think for myself, I definitely I want to be part of the discourse. Yeah. I I remember watching the entire second season of Ted Lasso kind of or most of it in a binge and I loved it but I wasn't then part of the the week by week discourse and with this season in particular and us doing the the show now I want to be engaged with you know people talking about it so and I think I have like Mm -hmm. quite good self-control so even if we get kind of a few episodes in advance I will look at them and it will just move away. And then I'll come and yeah. look at them. It's like, you know, like in a muffin. It's like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I was won't. was so good. Yeah.
1: Oh, it was so delicious. But I'm not going to. I'm <laughs> going to look at it. But I'm not going <laughs> to
0: so that's it for this week's episode of the succession easters join us next week we are going to be recapping season four episode by episode our plan is to drop the recap every tuesday so keep an eye on your feed on the tuesday following that particular episode of succession we will be recapping and discussing and analyzing everything we see week on week i cannot wait
1: (laughs) but in the meantime, Mike, where can people find more of your work online?
0: Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at The Movie Mike. I have a horror podcast called The Evolution of Horror, which you can find wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And you also have a Scream podcast called Hello Sydney.
0: Yes, I do. Thank you for the reminder. <laughs> there is also a Scream recap podcast that me and Anna produce and uh, host together with Louise Blaine called Hello Sydney. Uh, the We've just dropped our Scream 6 spoilerific discussion episode of that, which is worth checking Checking out if you're a Scream fan. So you can find Hello Sydney wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And you can find me online at Annaby Demented, both on Twitter and Instagram. You can listen to my horror podcast, The Final Girls, which is currently on hiatus, but coming back this month with a brand new season. You can listen to me on Hello Sydney, talking all about Scream with Mike and Louise. You can also buy my book, Unlikable Female Characters, which is available for pre-order now a whole bunch about Chevrolet in that book yes. and you can uh, read anything that I write about Succession otherwise I usually remember to post it on my Twitter feed
0: there we go thank you so much for listening and join us again next week for a brand new episode of the Successionistas
1: the Successionistas
2: fuck off